You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Ka. On today's show, we'll cover all of the news around baseball, including some unfortunate huge injury updates and one mega prospect call-up. We'll highlight some player performances, recommend some streamers, and lastly, we'll be answering some of our listeners' questions that we took from Twitter. But before we get into all of that, John, how's your week been? Well, the Twins just got swept by the Rays, so, you know, nothing weird there. We're currently first in the AL Central with a losing record, so, you know, everything's going as expected. Uh, baseball-wise, and um, yeah. I also missed out on Ailey De La Cruz by a lot in some of my leagues, so wasn't expecting him necessarily, but uh, it would have been nice to have a little share of him uh, in, in some of my fantasy leagues. Yeah, definitely good news with the Ellie call-up, which we'll get into in a few minutes. I got him in my main home league, and then I put in, which is pretty funny for TGFBI and for another NFBC league, hopefully none of my competitors are listening to this, but I only have like $260 left of my $1,000 budget in both of those leagues. And I bid $264 on Ellie De La Cruz. So interesting. We'll see if I'm left with $1 or without Ellie De La Cruz. So yeah, I'm I'm actually curious how much he's going to go for because so last week we talked um, on, you know, getting Royce Lewis in TGFBI and I bid... 207 on him okay because i was like i really wanted royce and you know it's it's nice to have a you know it's just nice to have a guy at a premium position like shortstop of course and considering he gets third base eligibility you know he can you can move around which is really helpful uh the next highest bid i think was like 97 so I oh wow that being said though i still have like a decent amount of fab left in um left in tgfbi and I'm I'm trying to figure out how much I need to spend on, on Ellie this week. I think that he's going to go for somewhere around 350 mm. And I think he might even go more than that. It's very hard to gauge because, once again, it depends on your league. Fab yep. is always just like a random number picked, <laughs> and totally. you just go with it. There's like no method to the madness. Mm-hmm. But I think he's going to go for about 30 to 40% of Fab budget. That's why I don't expect him to be on my teams with a $260 bid. Right, yep. But you never know. You might end up with him with that kind of bid, but I don't think so. I think if you really want him, I think 350 is a more safe bet to get him. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. a lot of 300, 333 bids will be out there, but man, it's worth it. He looks incredible, which we'll get into in a moment. I'm just trying my best to see outside because I don't know if you've seen, but because of the oh, Canadian yeah. wildfires, New York yeah. is brutal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, that. so that hit Minnesota probably two weeks ago i think and so it's making its way across the nation i guess and yeah finally hitting you guys but yeah my uh i've got my sisters in new york were sending us pictures of yeah what it what it looked like in in manhattan and uh yeah it's uh it's a little otherworldly right now yeah the air quality was horrible it smelled like burnt wood the entire time outside for like two or three days straight it was orange Mm -hmm. outside it was really strange the moon was red (laughs) yeah (laughs) they've because they resumed games in new york right yeah, so they just started playing yeah. again. The Mets mm-hmm. are on a little bit of a road trip. They were in Atlanta, and now they're in Pittsburgh. But right. yep. the Yankees were home, and the Yankees did end up playing a doubleheader yesterday. So yeah. mm-hmm. they were able to play. But yeah, the air quality has been bad for a while. It's just starting to get better now, and it's kind of blowing over. But 
Yeah, it is mm-hmm. not good there. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good for you guys. At least it's getting better. Yeah, that's the only thing we can hope for. But before we get into this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL, and you can send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we are on all of them, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast, and please leave a five-star review if you enjoy listening to us. It helps out greatly, it makes more people listen to the show, so if you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave a five-star review. Now, let's get into the MLB news since the last podcast, and this is probably the most star-studded news that we've had all season throughout the show, because... There is some big, and I mean huge, injuries to some big-name first-round players, but we'll get into that in a moment. First, we're going to start with the number four prospect in baseball, according to MLB Pipeline, Ellie De La Cruz, was called up by the Reds on Tuesday, June 6th. At the time of recording this, he's played in three games and has gone four for 11 with two walks, one home run, two RBI, three runs, and a stolen base. His opposing pitchers started against the Dodgers, went up against Tony Gonsolin in his MLB debut, then Noah Syndergaard and Clayton Kershaw. His one homer went 458 feet at 115 mile per hour exit velocity off of Noah Syndergaard, which is the furthest and hardest any Reds player has hit a ball this season. He hit a triple and went from home to third in 10.83 seconds, which is the fastest home to third speed this season in all of MLB. And he had the two fastest sprint speeds of any Reds player this season. He's batted fourth in the cleanup spot each of his starts, which just shows you the confidence that the Reds have in this kid, and rightfully so. He looks something special. Even in his MLB debut against Tony Gonsolin, it looked like they were pitching around him. It was crazy. I mean, there is so much hype around this kid. John, any comments on Ellie De La Cruz? We already talked about wanting to get him with Fab and how much he might cost, but what do you think of this kid? I mean, he looks pretty impressive. Yeah, I think it's hilarious in that his first game, or technically his second game, he hit the the hardest Reds ball. Yeah. A, a ball that any Reds players has hit. I think the same game, he also hit the third hardest ball. Yes, he did. Yep. So it's like, this guy is like just breaking records left and right. The funny thing, though, was, um, so I write the newsletter on Fridays for Pitcher List, and I was okay. looking up for, looking at some... Uh, um, you know who do I need to feature in my in my GIF, right? Like who who had like a good whiff or something like that. And uh, in uh, Layton's second strikeout of Ellie De La Cruz, uh, in classic Clayton Kershaw fashion, he threw him a curveball that was like a foot you know below the zone, and De La Cruz just whiffed on it as hard as possible. And um, he's he's exciting, but he's not otherworldly just yet. Uh, he, even he is mortal and he swings at a Clay Kershaw curveball. But uh, that all being said, um, yeah, it's super exciting. I, it's glad, like, you know, promote your guys, obviously. You know, the Reds have a lot to fight for in a pretty weak NL Central division. And so if they can get, you know, better bats up with Elliot De La Cruz, you know, they called up Matt McClain last week. Um, Spencer just here has been doing stuff at first base. You know, uh, Christian Ekranarcio and Strand has been doing really well in the minors as well. Um you could just imagine like what a good youth movement in Cincinnati could do to that team. Uh, they already have pretty solid pitchers. You know, uh, we're going to talk about another one literally right after this. And uh, yeah, I, I think the future is bright for the Reds and we'll see how that works out um, this season. If that comes to fruition at all. 
Yeah, so Ellie De La Cruz obviously is going to strike out a lot as he is a prospect. He had some of those issues in the minors, but I truly think this kid is otherworldly. I mean, the last time I've seen someone this impressive on their debut and just how they've carried themselves immediately had an impact on their team was like Fernando Tatis when he came up with the Padres. I mean, this is immediate impact. This is a guy who immediately can be someone who is a top 20 player rest of season for fantasy. I mean, this is a big deal because Ellie De La Cruz is just a special human being being six foot five, 200 mm-hmm. pounds, shortstop and third base eligibility hits the ball harder than everyone. I mean, it is so impressive what he's able to do, and I'm excited to watch him. I mean, I've watched every single at-bat so far because I've just been so invested in this, and it's getting national coverage, too. I mean, New York is covering Ellie De La Cruz. MLB Network, obviously, is going to cover him, but it is spreading way farther than Cincinnati, this hype. It was really cool, actually, because apparently they sold the least amount of tickets in Cincinnati on Monday, the game before, oh, and yeah. then when he got called up, they sold out the stadium on Tuesday. Yeah. And... After in the post-game show, they were just doing Ellie chants in the crowd. They're slamming on the cabinets and stuff. It's mm-hmm. crazy. I mean, the hype there is unreal. Yeah. Did you did you see his bat flip off yeah. Syndergaard? Dude, yep. that was so sick. Like, like honestly, it, it's things like that that make baseball really fun to watch when you have these young guys come up. They're playing with passion. I mean, we had the Wander Franco, you know, flip the ball, look at it, and yep. then toss it over to first thing. Like, yeah, sure. Like sometimes it can be a little annoying and um, maybe a little childish. Some people might say that, but in my opinion, like getting the young blood up up in the majors is just is so much fun because they they have so much personality, and I think you know baseball allowing them to have that personality is just really good for the game. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that as well, and. I think it's awesome what the Reds are doing by doing this youth movement. I mean, they called up Ellie, Matt McClain, Spencer Steer. We're going to be talking about another call-up that they just did in just a second, but they're calling up all their prospects. They're in the midst of a division race. Mm -hmm. They're exciting the fan base, and it's awesome to see because I think this is how baseball should be. If you have people of this caliber that are ready to play in the majors and everyone's excited about it, bring them up, let them play, and clearly the Reds are doing this youth movement, and it is fun to watch. And not for nothing, Ellie De La Cruz faced Tony Gonsolin, who is a great pitcher. Noah Syndergaard, who's a bit of a shell of himself, but still a pretty good pitcher. And Clayton Kershaw, who's one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. And he put up some gigantic numbers. And yes, he struck out three times in the game with Clayton Kershaw. One was against that nasty curveball, of course. But he also had two pretty good at-bats where he got called third strikes on that were yeah. kind of out of the zone. And... It just looks really good, man. I'm very excited about the future of this kid, and I think he's going to be a mainstay for fantasy for years to come, and hopefully he stays up and kills it this season because, man, this is super exciting. But moving on to the other Reds prospect that was called up, Andrew Abbott was called up by the Reds on Monday, June 5th, and made his MLB debut. We'll talk more about how that start went a little bit later on, though. Abbott was ranked 95th on MLB Pipeline's Top 100, but he's another guy that is just a prospect youth movement sort of guy that Cincinnati's bringing up and letting him run with the rotation spot. So we'll talk more about him later, but Andrew Abbott got called up on Monday. Now we get into some more of the unfortunate news and some of the big names around baseball that got injured. We start with Jacob deGrom of the Rangers. He will undergo Tommy John surgery to repair a torn UCL in his right elbow. This ends his 2023 season and keeps him out for the majority of the 2024 season as well. It'll be deGrom's second Tommy John surgery. His first was in 2010, 
which means that it's been 13 years between him needing Tommy John surgery, which is just brutal. I did some research and found out that some other pitchers have also had Tommy John surgery twice, one of them being his teammate Nathan Eovaldi, who had it in 2007 and then again in 2016. And Eovaldi looks great this season, so it's not like DeGrom is going to be nothing when he comes back. Clearly, Eovaldi has had two Tommy Johns and has found success. Also, DeGrom is just a way better pitcher than him and all of these names that I'm about to name. Others that had two Tommy John surgeries, Jamison Tyone, Daniel Hudson, the reliever, Jason Isringhausen, Chris Capuano, and Joaquin Soria. And then there's two other pitchers that are working their way back from their second Tommy John, which is Hyunjun Ryu and Walker Bueller. So just a brutal blow for the Rangers. It's obviously the first season of a five-year contract for DeGrom, and he's going to be missing two of those seasons. I mean, you kind of figured something like this was going to happen if the Mets were out on it, and this was kind of well-documented that DeGrom's health was in question because of all those arm injuries that he was racking up. Are you surprised by this at all, John? And how bad does this stink? Well, okay, it stinks a lot, obviously. Yeah. Um, no one wants to see this for DeGrom, and, um, and especially Tommy John, right? Like, I think we all knew he was going to be hurt for the most part um, throughout this five-year contract. Uh, you know, maybe he pitches 100 innings per season, but I don't think any of us were seeing Tommy John as the issue, right? Like, uh, I mean, it happens to, you know, a lot of pitchers, so we, we could never really count it out. But at the same time, you know, I don't think any of us was expecting, like, this big of an injury. So that really sucks for, for DeGrom. Um, yeah, I, it's tough because the, the history of pitchers coming back from two surgeries, it's not that great. Um, I think another name maybe to add is um, Drew Rasmussen, who he had Tommy John in, in college and then had it again, um, I think, as his as he was coming out of college. Ah, uh-huh, okay. Um, so, yeah, that's probably why he didn't come up in the search. But he's now sidelined, uh, not necessarily with a UCL injury, but he's he's uh, out for pretty much, what, probably five months or something, like four or five yeah, months? Yeah, easily. Um, yep. He might not pitch this season anymore. And so just because you have it, the, have the surgery again doesn't mean, you know, things are fixed and stuff like that. And I think it's tough because uh, he is one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball. And there's a good chance that he might only pitch one or two more seasons uh, before he calls it a career. If that. Yeah. I mean, it's just so sad because when you think about the human aspect and if you didn't see it on Twitter, he did an interview when it came out. And he was choked up and crying. And man, I just feel so bad for him because obviously I'm a huge DeGrom fan being a Mets fan. And Mm -hmm. I loved watching him pitch. I've seen him in person pitch so many times. And he just seems like such a down-to-earth, real person. And to see him go through something like this, I can only imagine how frustrating it could be when you are literally the best at your craft and you Mm -hmm. physically can't do your craft. I mean... That's just got to be brutal, and I feel so bad for him. I hope he comes back and is able to pitch and have a healthy, longer career. We just saw Steven Strasburg pretty much get shut down for the rest of his career. I mean, it's so tough to see these guys that were just mainstays for starting pitchers and just lose their ability like that. I mean, it just takes one second for it to go like that. And what's crazy is we all expected DeGrom to miss time due to injuries here and there, but... I don't think any of us penciled in Tommy John surgery. Totally. Yeah. And, and the sad thing with 
it, it, it's a good thing you bring up Strasburg too, because um, he was one of those guys who had elite stuff and then just slowly deteriorated, deteriorated. But he got his season back in 2019 with that World Series win. Yep. And it looked like, hey, everything's going well for for Strasburg. He actually looks healthy. Um, you know, he's he's able to pitch well with the lower velocity, things like that. And maybe he's going to get through this. And then immediately signs a big contract and then unfortunately gets hurt. And um, yeah, that's kind of kind of the start of the decline of the Nationals, to be honest. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a little unfortunate here that DeGrom is kind of going through a, a similar thing career-wise and in that, um, yeah, he's had some really high highs, but the lows have been super low, and it's it's unfortunate that uh, he's also, I don't want, you know, knock on wood, he might not get to experience the same thing that Strasburg had in a World Series win, which would be unfortunate. It was probably one of the more dominant pitchers of our generation. Yeah, and with Strasburg, one last note, I'm pretty sure that in that big contract, he's pitched like seven innings total, and it's not insured at all, his contract. So mm, yeah. pretty brutal blow for the Nationals. But yeah, no, you hate to see someone's career like Strasburg just come to an end like that. And hopefully DeGroms doesn't because, man, I'd love to see him dominate baseball for years to come. Pete Alonso of the Mets was hit on his left wrist with a Charlie Morton fastball on Wednesday. Then on Friday, Alonso was placed on the 10-day IL. He will miss three to four weeks with a bone bruise and sprain of his left wrist. Brutal for fantasy managers and my Mets, of course. So, Pete, Polar Bear, get better soon. Nestor Cortez of the Yankees was placed on the 15-day IL, retroactive to June 5th with a left rotator cuff sprain. He'll be out for at least a few weeks. Aaron Judge of the Yankees was placed on the 10-day IL, retroactive to June 4th with a right big toe sprain. There's no current timetable for his return, but it's expected that he won't require a lengthy absence. More clarity on Judge's situation should be revealed next week. Hopefully, he's not out long, though, because... My fantasy team certainly need him. I have a lot of shares of him. And the next guy as well, Jordan Alvarez of the Astros was removed from Thursday's game against the Blue Jays due to right oblique discomfort. He was then put on the 10-day IL on Friday. The Astros are calling it discomfort for now, but Alvarez is headed back to Houston to be further evaluated. If it's a strain, we're probably looking at a four to six week timetable, but hopefully it isn't too serious, kind of like what his teammate Jose Altuve just went through. He had a little bit of discomfort in his oblique and only missed about two to three games. So I really hope that Alvarez can come back in the minimum, but it's not looking good. Fingers crossed on this one. Eloy Jimenez of the White Sox exited the second game of Thursday's doubleheader against the Yankees with a lower left leg injury. He's considered day-to-day for now, and it doesn't sound too serious, but it's Eloy, so you just never know. Byron Buxton of the Twins was placed on the 10-day IL, retroactive to June 3rd, with a left rib contusion. Jorge Polanco of the Twins is day-to-day with left hamstring tightness. Twins manager Rocco Baldelli told reporters following Thursday's series finale against the Rays that Polanco definitely felt something and added that they're going to pay attention to it. Keep an eye on Polanco's status moving forward, but... It seems like he will miss a few days. Cody Bellinger of the Cubs will begin facing live pitching this week in Arizona before progressing to a minor league rehab assignment. He should be back before the end of June. Bellinger has been out with a left knee contusion. Cubs manager David Ross said that Justin Steele of the Cubs is on track to return June 17th against the Orioles. That's the minimum amount of time on the IL for him. He's coming back from a left forearm strain that was considered relatively minor. Chris Sale of the Red Sox was transferred from the 15-day IL to the 60-day IL. Sale was diagnosed with a stress reaction in his left scapula, a.k.a. the shoulder blade. 
He won't require surgery, but he will be shut down for at least three to four weeks, which is a huge bummer for fantasy managers. Hopefully, he'll be able to come back and finish the season strong. Edward Cabrera of the Marlins was removed from Wednesday's start against the Royals in the sixth inning due to a blister on his right hand. Consider him day-to-day for now. Jose Alvarado of the Phillies returned from the IL on Friday. He's been out for nearly a month due to left elbow inflammation. Xander Bogarts of the Padres has missed four straight games due to ongoing left wrist soreness. It sounds like he's going to wind up avoiding a trip to the injured list. He was in the lineup on Friday, but we're not sure if this is going to be a continuing issue, so keep an eye out on Bogarts. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. of the Diamondbacks has missed four straight games due to tightness in his right groin. If he doesn't return to the lineup soon, an IL stint might be needed. CJ Crone of the Rockies told reporters on Thursday that he's still dealing with pain in his lower back and there's currently no timetable for his return. Really unfortunate for Crone, but that does mean that Nolan Jones' playing time isn't in question for the time being, so good news for Jones, bad news for Crone. Yandy Diaz of the Rays missed two straight games due to minor left hip soreness. He returned to the lineup on Friday. Jake Fraley of the Reds was hit on his right wrist with a pitch on Tuesday. He's missed two straight games and is considered day-to-day. Dustin May of the Dodgers is still weeks away from being cleared to pick up a baseball. He's working his way back from a right forearm strain. Noah Syndergaard of the Dodgers was placed on the 15-day IL with a blister on his right index finger. Taylor Scott was recalled from AAA in a corresponding move. And a lot of people were speculating maybe some of the Dodgers prospects being called up to take his spot in the rotation, but that won't happen because Julio Urias of the Dodgers threw a two-inning simulated game on Tuesday. He should be returning from the IL on Sunday, starting against the Phillies. Urias is returning from a left hamstring strain. Hunter Renfro of the Angels returned from the paternity leave list on Saturday. Congratulations on the baby girl. Incoming 50 home run season for Renfro due to that dad power. Joe Adele was recalled by the Angels from AAA Salt Lake on Thursday. He started in right field and batted sixth against the Cubs. In that game, he went one for three with a walk and an absolute mammoth home run off of Drew Smiley that went 451 feet with an exit velocity of 117.2 miles per hour. It was a moonshot. John, did you end up seeing this? Because it almost made me want to pick him up again, but then I remembered it's Joe Adele. Uh, No, I didn't see this, but uh, that sounds like a... That sounds like... Just standard Joe Adele, once every blue moon sort of hype. Uh, we've seen this. We've seen this uh, story before. Yeah, I mean, when I saw him get called up, I told myself I was like, "We're not falling for it. Not four times. You just can't. Yeah. You can't fall right. for something four times. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me three times and four times, then I'm just an idiot. So I'm not falling for this <laughs> Joe Adele thing again. And who knows if he'll be sent down after Renfro comes back and. I don't know. We'll see what happens with Joe Adele. He has the tools, but he's always been like a quad A player. So if he finds a hot stretch at the plate, give him like at least a week, then maybe you can pick him up and I'd advise picking him up. But right now I'm not falling for the smoke and mirrors. Michael Soroka of the Braves was optioned to AAA Gwinnett on Monday. Soroka surrendered five runs over three and two-thirds innings on Sunday in a no decision against the Diamondbacks, and I'm guessing that the Braves would rather him work things out in the minors rather than in the majors for now. A.J. Smith-Shawver of the Braves made his first Major League start on Friday against the Nationals. Since we're recording this on Friday, we're not sure how it went, but hopefully it went well because he's an exciting prospect that has a good amount of upside for fantasy. In one relief outing for the Braves this season, he went 2.1 innings pitched with three strikeouts, no hits, and one walk, and he may be on the streamer list for this week. And last but not least, 
Alec Manoa of the Blue Jays was optioned to the Blue Jays rookie-level Florida Complex League affiliate on Tuesday. The move comes one day after Manoa was pummeled for six runs while recording just one out in a loss to the Astros to push his ERA on the season to 6.85. He will miss at least two turns in the rotation, says general manager Ross Atkins, and it could very well be more than that. It's crazy to see that Manoa went from all-star to someone who's in the rookie-level Florida Complex League. Pretty shocking, but he's been that bad. But, John, any last notes about this group? Like you said, it's a star-studded lineup of guys that can't play. Yeah. Yep. Or are dealing with stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's it's tough. Uh, I mean, excited about AJ smith Shaver. Um, like you teased, we'll be talking about him in a little bit. Um, and we'll see. Edward Cabrera actually had a really good start through five innings um, against the Royals. And so hopefully he's he's all good because he's got a he he hasn't put it all together yet this year for the Marlins, uh, but he is he has some of that really electric stuff that you know makes you hope that there's something there. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens with him, and uh, with Judge, uh, I'm assuming. Did you see the play where he basically? I mean, how he got injured? Yes. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the ironic thing was it wasn't like falling through the fence that got him injured. It was hitting his toe on the concrete. Yep. That it was the result, and so. You know, even the big ones fall hard, so. Yeah, it was pretty wild. They're changing the concrete bottom of that wall now because of that injury. So yeah. it's good to see that because why is that even there? Why is there a brick wall in Wrigley? Why is there all of these horrible <laughs> fences in the outfield? Like, don't we want to protect our players and to give the best product on the field? Like, I would love more if people were not scared to run into the wall or worried about where it is. Like, it'd yeah. be much better if it was heavily padded. So, it blows my mind that it's not already done, but what are you going to do? And when Judge actually ran through that, that's not something yeah. that opened. That's not a door or a gate. He just right. broke yeah, yeah, yeah. the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's remarkable. What a huge dude. And just so sad to see that he's missing some time again because he's performing at an even higher level than he did last season. He's on pace to do better than he was last season. Obviously, mm -hmm. when you miss these games, you can't really replicate the numbers, but yeah, he's been really good. Same with Jordan. It's just a shame to see these two big sluggers go down with injury for any amount of time. So my fingers yeah. are crossed because in one league, I actually have both of them. So oh, tough. Yeah, hoping they get better soon. But yeah, hopefully all these guys on the injured list, which is just a star-studded lineup, get better soon because baseball is better with all of them playing. But before we get into the weekly performance recap, we're going to take a quick break. So stay tuned. All right, we are back and it's time for the weekly performance recap. Just a reminder, we get most of our hitter and pitcher highlights from the daily articles on the Pitcher List website. The hitter recap and SP Roundup articles are incredible resources to read to see how players performed each day. But, John, how did the weekend go? Yeah, we're going to start off on June 2nd with Nick Castellanos of the Phillies, who went 4-5 for five with two runs, two homers, five RBI, and a stolen base. After a fairly lackluster May where Cassie only managed one homer, uh, he started June really well, many thanks to that two-homer night. Uh, of course, in June, we've only been through nine days, so extremely small sample size. He's batting 519 um, with seven RBI, so he's had two RBI since last week. Um, he has, on the season, a 315, 363, 494 slash line. And a 131 WRC plus, not bad for a guy who probably was dropped in a couple of your leagues back in uh, April when he wasn't performing super hot. 
On Saturday, we had Marcus Semien of the Rangers go four for six with two doubles, a homer, four runs, and three RBI. Semien has been spearheading one of the top offenses in baseball, contributing in all five categories so far this season. Nine homers, seven steals, 55 runs, 50 RBI, and a 299 average. He's doing all this batting leadoff for the Rangers. He's also maintained a really low strikeout rate, uh, which obviously helps in that high average, as well as batting guys in and getting on base. He dominated the Mariners on Saturday, leading the Rangers to a 16-6 division blowout. And then on Sunday, Drew Ellis of the Phillies went 3-for-3 with two homers, four runs, three RBIs, and two walks. If you like a feel-good story, Drew Ellis is here to provide one. He was drafted in 2017, uh, but with Philly, this is actually his third major league team. He was initially part of the Diamondbacks there. Um, He signed a minor league deal earlier this season, and because of the injuries to corner infielders such as Alec Bohm, Derek Hall, and Reese Hoskins, he was called up to the Phillies, and he got on a hot game on Sunday. He helped his team to an 11-3 victory. Uh, However, he's followed that up with seven hitless at-bats, and he's been on the bench ever since, so... Don't go out and just grab Drew Ellis just yet. I'm not surprised that Drew Ellis kind of fell off. (laughs) It's unfortunate to say, but it's great that he had a good game. And it's good to see, like you said, a feel-good story come to fruition. So shout out to Drew Ellis. Good job. Marcus Semien is just a monster. He's been insane. I mean, 50 RBI and 55 runs. You would expect that from someone who bats in the upper third of the lineup for the hottest offense in baseball, pretty much. Mm -hmm. But Semyon has been otherworldly. I mean, nine homers, seven steals, probably on pace for another 2020 season, 100 RBI, 110 runs. That's a great player, especially with the eligibilities that he has. So Marcus Semyon is a keeper. And Nick Castellanos, he's always hot and cold. And right now he's very hot. It's good to see him rebound, though, because last season he had an uncharacteristic-like performance. So I'm glad to see that he had some sort of a rebound, even though Philly's lineup overall is looking pretty bleak. I mean, Trey Turner's been struggling. Schwarber's been up and down. Harper's been eh. It's been really weird in Philly. Yeah, but they're, they they could always hit their stride. I mean, that the, the nice thing about getting a bunch of power hitters is that if they all get hot at the same time, uh, that's where it gets a little, little, little gross to face them. Yeah. You're not losing when they're all on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Well, moving on to pitchers, we're going to start with Luis Castillo of the Mariners. Uh, He faced Texas on Friday in a loss. Uh, He pitched seven innings with one earned run, five hits, one walk, and six strikeouts. Uh, He held his own in this. Even though it was a loss, you were probably happy with everything else that Castillo provided on Friday. This season, he's a top 20 pitcher when you're looking at ERA, whip, and strikeout rate, which is all, you know, numbers that we care about. In addition, he's actually decreased his walk rate by one and a half percent, which is huge. The fun thing about this game was that it was in Texas, so I think this just furthered the narrative that Castillo really loves warm weather, and he plays super well. He actually was pitching a tick higher than his season average, so uh, it's uh, it's kind of funny that he ended up in a uh, you know gloomy Seattle. But um, you know what works for you, I guess. Uh, Alex Cobb of San Francisco Giants uh, went up against Baltimore on Saturday, got a win with seven point two innings, zero earned runs, five hits, no walks, and seven strikeouts. Uh, basically, when you look at an Alex Cobb start, the main thing to look at is how did the splitter do? It's an incredible pitch when it's on, but when it's not, well, then you get some pretty mediocre results. Against the Rays, he used the splitter 56% of the time, which is a lot more than he usually does. It's usually in the 30 to 25% range. Uh, and he got 14 whiffs on that splitter, as well as 10 outs on 13 balls in play. Again, he normally doesn't throw it this much, but what he was clearly feeling it on Saturday... Unfortunately, though, the lack of consistency makes it hard to really keep him on your rosters. 
Case in point, he didn't do so hot in his most recent start. And then finally running out on Sunday, Tristan McKenzie of the Guardians faced Minnesota with a no decision. Five innings, zero runs, one hit, one walk, and 10 strikeouts in five innings. Crazy. So we knew McKenzie was a good pitcher, but I don't think anyone expected this in his first start back uh, from injury. Uh, he had that uh, terrace major strain, I believe, is what the injury was. Yep. Um, and so he, he was out for basically two months. Um, but in his first start back, Really, really good. The slider and the curveball were both above 50% CSW. Command was good, too. Clearly, there aren't any issues coming back from that injury. That being said, the reason why the strikeout numbers are so high was that he was facing the Twins, who strike out the most in the majors. So I wouldn't say let's expect this performance every single day, but it's good to see the stick back in action. So Tristan McKenzie, what a great performance off of injury. I mean, 10 strikeouts, one hit and one walk in five innings is mightily impressive. 38% CSW overall, just... Really good stuff from McKenzie. It's promising for all of the people that obviously stashed him away and were upset that he got injured to start with. So it's a good rebound. A lot of people had Tristan McKenzie as a bust because of where he was going in drafts. And now I think that he's not going to be a bust. And I didn't think he was going to bust to start with, but I thought that he was going to regress a little bit. But this is proving otherwise. I mean, obviously, like you said, he was going up against the Twins who strike out a lot. But if he just keeps up this kind of pace, which... Obviously, if anybody kept up this pace, they'd be a Cy Young winner. Yeah. He is going to be a really valuable fantasy asset. So for anyone who thought McKenzie's a bust, you might be proven wrong. This is one start, granted, and it's too early to be taking victory laps. But Mm -hmm. yeah, this looks really good for McKenzie. Alex Cobb is like the best back end of your rotation guy or top streamer because he is so inconsistent when it comes to a start-by-start basis. So when you get a start like this against the Orioles, you're like, Hell yeah, this is awesome. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. when you get one like against the Rockies at Coors and he doesn't do so well, you're not surprised. So yeah, Alex Cobb is so up and down, but he's someone that I would trust in the matchups that look promising and not Mm -hmm. trust in the matchups that look bad. And honestly, you could say that for a lot of players and just like hope it's true. But for Cobb, it actually is true. You know, like if there's a bad matchup, you probably should sit Cobb. And if there's a good matchup, you should probably start Cobb. And knowing that is pretty helpful, to be honest. And then Luis Castillo is just a stud. I remember back during draft season, the main choice that people would have around this range was Luis Castillo or Kevin Gosman. And the Mm. answer was both because they are just both dominant and two of the best pitchers in baseball this season. Yeah. Uh, Both for sure are, I believe that both of them are in, in Nick's top 10 and, you know, they definitely perform like that. Uh, McKenzie does face Houston on Saturday. So that will be a really good test to see where he's at. Um, Houston isn't, you know, the scariest offense in the league, um, but they are better than the twins. So uh, we'll see what, what happens there with that start. It will be a true test, even though Jordan's not in the lineup. So yep. it's going to be a little bit less scary for McKenzie, especially because they're really right-handed heavy besides mm-hmm. Jordan. They obviously have Kyle Tucker, but their main bats are Altuve, Bregman, Dubon, Abreu, you got some guys that are mainly right-handed hitters. So hopefully McKenzie does well, but it'll definitely be a better test than the Twins. Moving on to Monday, June 5th, from the Hitting Recap article by Gabe Gorelnick, we start with Luis Arias of the Marlins. He went 3-for-4 with a double, a run, and two RBI. In his next few games on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, he went 3-for-4, 2-for-4, 2-for-4, which brings his batting average for this season to 403. That is just incredible. To have someone batting over 400 
while we're in the month of June now is pretty crazy. It feels like the days of Napla Joy, Rogers Hornsby, Ty Cobb, and Ted Williams are long gone, but Arias is doing his best effort at replicating one of their historic batting average seasons. I'm sure he'll regress because with pitching nowadays, it's hard to sustain this kind of performance, but I'm certainly rooting for him. As for fantasy, he's hitting more doubles, which has raised his OPS to 947, but for the season, he has one home run and one stolen base, which just doesn't get the job done in any facet. He's usable in average leagues as strictly a pillar for average, but he doesn't give you much else, and I find a player of that archetype hard to roster. He's not someone that I would want on my teams, but depending on your league context, points leagues or leagues that heavily favor average or singles or doubles, then yeah, maybe Arias is more helpful. But for me, he's not a guy who's a strong fantasy asset. Next, we have Dalton Varsho of the Blue Jays, who went two for four with a homer, a run, and an RBI. Since the calendar is switched to June, Varsho has switched to on. His 8th inning home run on Monday came off of Seth Martinez and left his bat at 98.1 miles per hour. The single in that game left his bat at 105.6 miles per hour. In June, Varsho is 7 for 24 with 3 walks, 3 home runs, 4 RBI, 7 runs, and 2 stolen bases. That brings his season total to 11 home runs and 8 stolen bases, which makes him extremely valuable at the catcher position as we all predicted. The StatCast numbers don't look too good for Varsho, but they're actually better than his StatCast numbers from last season, where he put up 27 homers and 16 stolen bases. So I think Varsho is just going to prove once again that he's a top three catcher option. So the the thing about Arias, which is fascinating, is he's been uh, he's been able to get on base. Um, what is this? 87 times like through hits and then he's got 24 walks in the season so right it, it comes out to around like 110 times on base right and he's only had 26 runs because the rest of the marlins offense just can't bat him in um and it's it's really unfortunate because uh he's having a historic season it's just the the other stats aren't ranking up to make him as valuable in fantasy um, and like you mentioned, he only has one home run and one stolen base, uh, and that's it. And I mean, I love Luis Arias. Obviously, he was one of he was one of my favorite players when he was on the Twins. And even though I'm, you know, I'm glad we were able to trade him and get Pablo Lopez. Like it, it's cool to see him do this well in Miami. Um, and so that that's just fun. Uh, and then with Varsho, I honestly I am like really hoping just for the sake of my dynasty team that he can get like. 10 starts at catcher this year. Yep. I know it's not going to happen, <laughs> but it would just be so nice because he's, even though he's on, right. He's, he's doing super well right now uh, in June. Like that still plays like a, like a outfielder three outfielder four. But if he was able to just maintain sub catcher eligibility, man, like he would be so good. Um, and so I'm not saying I want injuries to happen to Alejandro Cork and Danny Chanson at the same time, but um you know, if we could just get Varsho some reps at catcher, that would be really nice. Yeah, I would love, love, love if Varsho got some catcher reps because obviously he's a usable outfielder, like you said, but his real value comes from being a catcher and getting 25 homers and 15 steals. So yep. mm -hmm. we definitely want that catcher eligibility. It makes him infinitely more valuable. And yeah, Luis Arise, I mean, he only scores really when Jorge Soler is on a hot streak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Other, other than that, he's Which doing is, nothing. Yeah, one of the most consistent batters, of course, Jorge yeah. Soler. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's the crazy part, man. It's pretty crazy to see that someone's batting 400, though. I mean, 
hats off to Luis Arias. Keep it up because I would love to say that in my lifetime I saw a 400 hitter. Yeah. I mean, I got real. I mean, I'm not saying we got real close with Joe Maurer. Like he he was he was teasing the 400 for a little bit, right? Um, a couple of those seasons. But Arias feels like a guy who could legitimately do it just because of his approach to the plate is so solid. Like he he doesn't like seeing a lot of pitches. You know, if he sees ones that he can hit, he'll he'll take it. Um, he's not a guy who waits a long time to to see his pitch. So, um, yeah, he feels like one of those guys who, if there was a 400 hitter, it would be Luis Arias. I agree. I thought Ichiro would get there at some point growing up being a huge yep. Ichiro fan, but, you know, never did. So, yeah, Luis Arise, please do the 400 average season because that would be super cool. You probably have like five homers and five steals with a 400 batting average, but hey, <laughs> we'll take it. Yeah. Moving on to pitchers from Monday from the SP Roundup article, Prelim Abbott from Nick Pollock. We start with the title boy himself, someone we alluded to earlier, Andrew Abbott of the Reds, who went six innings pitched, no earned runs, one hit, four walks, and six strikeouts against the Brewers. As mentioned earlier in the show, Abbott was called up by the Reds and made his MLB debut against the Brewers. He threw 105 pitches, got a quality start, a win, and looked great, which you love to see in a debut. There's one big thing to note here, though. The Brewers have the lowest WOBA in the league against left-handed pitching. That probably helped him out a bit in this one. It seems like he got a little fortunate. Abbott had four walks, which walking batters isn't something that he was doing in the minors very much. But as Nick mentions, these guys are human, and you're naturally going to be excited, anxious, and jittery in your debut. He has four pitches, a fastball, changeup, curveball, and slider, but mainly relies on his fastball and curveball combo. Abbott is a lefty that throws a 93-mile-per-hour fastball, but... It does similar things to what Joe Ryan and Nestor Cortez's fastball do, where it appears faster than it is. It kind of creeps up on you in the box. He gets the Cardinals next, and the Reds have already said that they plan on giving a rotation spot to Abbott for the foreseeable future. So pick him up and see what he can do against a real test. St. Louis is actually ninth in WOBA against left-handed pitching this season, so if he can do well in that performance, I will trust him a lot more moving forward. So that's going to be the real test, but great things to see out of the rookie pitcher, Abbott. Next, we have Braxton Garrett of the Marlins, who went five innings pitched, four earned runs, six hits, no walks, and six strikeouts against the Royals. Last week, we recommended Garrett as a streamer, and I went even further to say that you should just roster him. Obviously, this isn't the ideal start that you wanted to get against the Royals, but he had a 40% CSW, struck out six, and had zero walks, which are all great signs. The only real downside to Garrett is that he pitches for the Marlins, so wins will be a little scarce. However, he did get the win in this start, despite the four earned runs, and he rarely ever goes six innings pitched, which obviously isn't good in quality start leagues. Garrett only threw 75 pitches in this one, and they still didn't let him go six. Hopefully his leash gets a little bit longer because Garrett has great stuff and his upcoming schedule is at Chicago White Sox, at Washington Nationals, and home against the Pirates. You definitely want to keep him rostered and hopefully he can go a little bit further in these next few starts because those matchups are tasty. And last, we have Aaron Nola of the Phillies who went seven innings pitched, zero earned runs, one hit, three walks, and 12 strikeouts against the Tigers. It's just really nice to see Nola return to form. It's something that we all needed to see. I have a few shares of Nola personally, and if he didn't dominate in this one, I was going to start punching the air in frustration. His four-seamer was nasty, returning a 52% CSW and 10 out of 44 whiffs. Nick made a great point, wondering if this is the start of a shift towards more four-seamers over the sinker, because the fastball has an X average under 100 points over the sinker. So, pretty good change there if Nola's going that route. It's food for thought, but hopefully Nola returns to his ace-like self after this dominant start. 
Braxton Garrett was the guy that I picked up last week as well. Um, see, we do listen to our own advice here yep. on this podcast. Um, and yeah, it was super annoying because if you looked at the score at the beginning, it was like one inning. I think it was one inning, four in runs, right? Like he gave up the four runs, I think, in this first inning. And it was just like, man, why? And then, you know, <laughs> he pitched four really good innings after that, got six strikeouts. And unfortunately, the league that I have him in is a quality start league. So it was like, well, that wasn't super helpful, but the whip was relatively low. You know, the uh, the stuff looked pretty decent. 40% CSW, can't argue with that. Um, and he does have an incredibly soft schedule coming up. So yep. I'd say if you got frustrated with this Braxton Garrett start, just like we did, um, keep holding, right? That 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 schedule is real nice. Um, and it's a possibility that he could even get some wins in those matchups too. Yeah, the schedule for Garrett looks incredible, and as I mentioned before, you should just roster him at this point because his stuff is really nasty. I mean, a 40% CSW against the Royals. The Royals aren't a great team, but Garrett has the stuff to actually do damage against good teams. So if they just let him go a little bit longer, he's going to be someone you want to have rostered, and especially in these next three starts, which are just softball layups. And it's these guys that are like kind of, you know, they're the number three, number four guys on their on their rotation, and um, there's not a lot of hype about them, but if you can, you know, jump on these guys early and when they have these soft schedules, um, it, it can definitely be a huge help to your fantasy team. I mean, Andrew Abbott's kind of maybe, uh, maybe a good example there where the hype wasn't as big, I think, behind Abbott as, you know, we've, we've had a lot of rookie pitchers come up and I think as each subsequent one has come up, there's maybe a little bit less hype, um, because of, you know, the, the, the rookie pitchers as good as they've been, have been up and down in terms of the results, but Abbott's got a, you know, a nice schedule coming up. And uh, there's a potential here that uh, he could he could be really solid. So um, just, yeah, kind of be aware of these guys who aren't household names but are in maybe, you know, that top 60 pitcher conversation uh, because they could easily become top 40 guys, top 30 guys with just a little improvement here and there. Oh, absolutely. Well, moving on to Tuesday, uh, we're going to start with the hitter recap article for Mark Stuminger. Going to start with Chase Peterson of Oakland. He went five for five with two homers, three runs, and five RBI. I'll be completely honest. The only reason I know who Chase Peterson is because he was a teammate of my Road to the Show character in MLB The Show two years ago, <laughs> uh, when, back when he was in the Milwaukee organization. I think it was like a Triple A teammate of him or something like that. Uh, the lefty hasn't really done much in his few opportunities in the majors, but in Oakland, he's managed to make some noise with his bat and his legs. Got five homers and six bags in 54 games. Unfortunately, he only has a 225 average, and it'll be tough for him to contribute fantasy-wise unless you're in an ale-only deep league. Uh, then Luke Rayleigh of Tampa Bay went two for three with a triple, a home run, two runs, two RBI, and a walk uh, against the Twins. It's a little interesting tidbit here because he there might have been a little revenge game factor. He was actually part of the Twins organization between 2018 and 2019, having been traded there as part of the Brian Dozier trade. Well, Rayleigh took full advantage, teeing off Louis Varlin here. Again, he had a triple and a homer. It seems like everyone on this race team has been hot. Rayleigh is no exception. He's got 11 homers and 7 steals on the season. He also has the 6th best slugging percentage in the majors at 586. Rayleigh has first base and outfield eligibility and is relatively unrostered in most leagues. So if you need help at either of those positions, he should be available. Yeah, so really no action on Jace Peterson because he's not going to be helpful at all unless you're in a deep AL-only league like you mentioned. So not really much to mention, but what a game. I mean, five for five with two homers. When anyone does that against any 
major league team. It's really impressive. So good yeah. stuff from Jace Peterson. He's always had flashes when he was on like the Brewers and some other random teams. He always had like a random stretch where he was hot, but mm-hmm. he never sustains it for a whole season. So Jace Peterson right. is not someone you need in fantasy. And then Luke Rayleigh is an interesting option. I'm so torn with all of these Rays guys that just kind of appear out of nowhere and then <laughs> yeah. do really well and have incredible stat cast numbers, but they play like two to three games a week. <laughs> right. This, this has literally been like, I think this might be the third time that we've talked about Luke Rayleigh this season. And it's always just like, but will he play? You know, Right. Like, and that's the question every time with Rays players. And it's frustrating. It's like the reason why I didn't want to grab Yandy Diaz in the beginning of the year or Isaac Paredes yep. or Harold Ramirez. Like all of these guys are great and having great seasons. But can you count on them in like a head to head league for a weekly league to get more than four starts? No, you can't right. count on that. So they're ridiculously frustrating to roster. Luke Rayleigh has been awesome stat cast wise and numbers wise, but can you go out and add him? It's not someone that I can confidently say, yeah, go out and grab this guy because I don't know when he's playing. And right. for fantasy, I just think you need more of the compilers than the guys that play every now and then and do well. Right. I mean, you look at his numbers. It, he has, like, right, we, we mentioned the, the sixth best slugging in the league, right? He actually has less runs in RBI than Luis Arias. Which is you know? insane. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Like, he has 28 runs, 25 RBI. That's that's less than a rise. Arias has, like, 29 and 30. Um, so, this is a guy who's been arguably raking whatever he's up to bat. Um, he only has 161 plate appearances, and we're a third of the way through the season. Right, you know? exactly. Like, yep. It's one of those guys where it's like, man, it would be so nice if, if the Rays played him every single day. And they don't, and for good reason. You know, they they know what they want to do with their roster, and and that is what it is. It's just you know kind of annoying as a fantasy manager, of course, uh, trying to you know guess who's going to play today, and, and can I rely on a guy who has decent ratios but not good enough counting stats? Yeah, that's why I don't recommend Rayleigh to anybody because everyone that asks me, hey, is Luke Rayleigh worth grabbing? I just have to say I don't know when he's going to play. If you tell me he gets everyday playing time, then yes, he should be rostered. But yeah, I, if he's not, I, do I don't think... know what to do. Yeah, I think there's situations where it's like if you're like in a let's just say a 15 teamer and you have a corner infield uh, spot or you know five outfielders, like I think that's where it starts to make sense because the guys that you'd be normally rostering in those um, in those areas aren't going to be necessarily you know contributing in all five categories. At least with Rayleigh, you know, like hey, there'll be good ratios even if he only plays like let's just say four games in, in a week. Um, right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and obviously, if it's a daily league, then definitely you should be. Pro- you probably should roster Rayleigh there because right. swap guys in and out. It's yeah, it's when you're in weekly leagues, that's that's a little bit more t- more challenging. Well, moving on to the pitchers. Uh, thanks to Nick Pollock for the in Eflinable article. We're going to start with Luke Rayleigh's teammate Zach Eflin uh, pitching against uh, my Minnesota Twins with a win, six point two innings, zero earned runs, three hits, one walk, and nine strikeouts. Uh, during draft season, I pretty much wanted Eflin everywhere because when the Rays give someone serious amount of money, uh, there's got to be something behind it, right? Uh, the fun thing about Eflin, of course, was that he ended up last season uh, with the Phillies in the bullpen. So it was like, wow, Rays are given a lot of money to, for a guy to start who didn't finish the season uh, you know, starting for his previous team. The beginning of the season wasn't exactly smooth sailing. As he had a few starts, we didn't go six innings. You know, We're like, oh, the Rays are going to Ray. But then he had a couple starts where he was also giving up more runs than he should. It was like, okay, 
did the Rays actually try to tweak anything in in his makeup uh, when he went over to Tampa Bay? However, the good thing is that he's never had the catastrophic blow-up, and he's more often than not returning at least a win or a quality start, this being his fifth consecutive appearance with a win or a quality start. His sinker is doing a good job in getting batters to chase outside the zone, and the curve is even deadlier. He's still maintaining an elite walk rate while having his best ground ball rate in years. Basically, all his pitches are improving in terms of ground ball rate, so it seems less fluky, I guess. Um, in my opinion, you just got to tip your hat to the pitch whispers in Tampa because they've clearly figured out something here. Uh, Freddie Peralta of the Brewers went up against Baltimore as well. He pitched for five innings with two earned runs, six hits, no walks, and nine strikeouts. Other than a two-run homer he gave up to Aaron Hicks, of all people, this was a really good start for Freddie as the four-seamer returned to 44% CSW. He managed to do that even with not super elite secondaries, but at least he was getting strikes with those pitches as well. The season has been pretty mixed with a poor ERA and whip. Uh, both of those numbers are well below average for Peralta, but the strikeout ability cannot be ignored, even if it's inconsistent as well. He has these nine strikeout games, then there'll be other games where he only gives you four or something like that. Um, we just really want Freddie to put it all together for one season, and I think we were hoping for this for it to be this season when he was actually healthy, but um, it's not looking like it's going to turn out that way. I love both of these pitchers. Freddie's someone that I've always loved. I'm a known Freddie Peralta truther, so I'm just happy <laughs> yeah. to see that he's healthy. I mean, genuinely, yeah. like, I would love some more consistency, like you said, and that's the key because when he's on, he's dominant, but when he's off, it's just like this kind of lackluster pitcher that kind of just gets through the outing. But he's healthy, and that's a big thing that we could say for Freddie Peralta, that he's actually healthy. So that's a positive right there, and I will take it. And then Zach Eflin, yeah, the key was that the Rays gave him money. It was the only offseason free agent signing that the Rays made. You had to have known that they were going to do something with him that unlocked this potential. And mm -hmm. it was pretty obvious, in my opinion. I was recommending him to all the people that were asking me for draft advice. I was yep. taking him in my leagues. It was just pretty obvious. So Zach Eflin doing great things over there in Tampa. But moving on to Wednesday, June 7th, from the Daily Hitting Recap article from Jim Chatterton. We start with Ryan Noda of the Athletics. He went two for four with a homer, two runs, two RBI, and two walks. I was actually surprised to see Noda's stats from this season. All of the noise out of Oakland has been from Estiuri Ruiz for his steals or Brent Rooker when he was going through his ridiculous hot stretch. However, mm. Noda has been a stud. Through 59 games, his slash line is 255, 415, 463, with 7 home runs, 23 RBI, 32 runs, and 2 stolen bases. His stat cast numbers look really good as well. 93rd percentile barrel percentage, 74th percentile hard hit percentage, 83rd percentile average exit velocity, all which are great. Noda has first base and outfield eligibility on Yahoo, and he should probably be rostered in any OBP leagues. He's striking out 30% of the time but he's walking nearly 20% of the time, which is 100th percentile in walk percentage. So you really like to see that kind of number in OVP formats. So quietly, the 27-year-old Noda has been very good this season, and if you're in a deeper OVP league, he's probably a good option for you. And then Joey Weimer of the Braves went 4-for-4 four four with a double, two home runs, two runs, and five RBI. This was easily the best game in the rookie's young career so far, after this game, he extended his hit streak to eight games, which is now nine because he got a hit on Thursday as well. Weimer has a 96 WRC plus right now, along with a slash line of 231, 298, 425, 
With 8 home runs and 9 stolen bases in 61 games, he's on pace for a 2020 season, which would be extremely impressive and more than helpful for fantasy teams. He has to be rostered in any 5 outfield leagues, 12 teams or deeper right now. And lastly, shout out to Juan Soto of the Padres, who went 5 for 5 with a double, a run, and 4 RBI. It was the first 5-hit game in his career, probably because he just walked so much. He's had a few 4-hit games, but never a 5-hit game, so Soto is slowly starting to look like Soto again. And another shout out to Corbin Carroll of the Diamondbacks, who had a huge game, going 4 for 5 with a homer, 3 runs, 2 RBI, and a stolen base. His current 150-game pace, John, is 27 home runs and 45 stolen bases, <laughs> which, if he delivers anything close to that, makes him a first-round pick next season. And while we're recording this on Friday, he actually has two home runs, one being a grand slam on Friday. Yeah. So he is going nuts. So I'm, like, wary of rookie hitters for the most part because major league pitching is very different than, than minor league pitching. But Corbin Carroll, man, he is the real deal. Uh, it's kind of incredible what he's doing. Like, like you mentioned, 150 game pace is 27 homers and 45 stolen bases. Like that's that almost feels like video game numbers. Really. Oh yeah. Um. So it, it's really impressive. And then Ryan Noda, um, I wrote about him in the newsletter a couple weeks ago, and uh, it was just really funny. I was like, yeah, here's this, like literally this nobody in Oakland. Like no one knows what's going on here with Ryan Noda. Like most people have never heard of his name, and he's second in the league in 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 walk rate. You know, like yep. he's he's right behind Juan Soto in how how good he is at walking. And um yeah, it's super impressive. Obviously the strikeout number isn't fantastic, um, but he's getting, you know, okay counting stats. Uh it, it, especially if you're in an OVP league, you should be taking a hard look at, at Noda because he's he's contributing in big ways there. Um so yeah, he he's he's also a really fun name to to follow this season. Oh, for sure. You love it when these guys come out of Oakland and start finding success because they really never had a chance anywhere else. So it's cool to see that Noda, who is a rookie, I believe. Yes, he is a rookie. Yep. It's crazy to see that he comes up and is immediately doing well and good for him because that walk rate is nuts. And one quick thing with Corbin Carroll, too, is that I was all over him the whole offseason. I was like, man, this guy is going to be incredible get him grab him I drafted him everywhere I think I have him in four out of my five leagues I think the only league I don't have him in is TGFBI hmm. and he is just going off and performing amazing and fun fact I was going to bet a lot of money on him that he would win rookie of the year but I couldn't find a rookie of the year bet on DraftKings oh, so sure. I never got to put one in I found to lead the league in stolen bases so I put money on that and obviously uh -huh. Ronald Acuna Jr. is going crazy and so is Estiori Ruiz but yep if anything happens to them, which I don't hope for that, but Corbin Carroll can still take that. But I really wish I put money on the National League Rookie of the Year because he is obviously running away with this. I mean, I don't even see anyone close to him, to be honest. Yeah, the the rookie the rookie race is is shaping up to be pretty interesting this season because um, I, I don't think Ellie Dena Cruz necessarily has a chance at it because he's missed you know basically two months of the season. He still it's could for, though. You never know. He still could though. Yeah, he could have the most ridiculous like four months of baseball possible right. so yeah we can't count him out completely but uh yeah Corbin Carroll definitely looks like uh the number one guy to take that that take that award I agree moving on to pitchers from Wednesday from the SP roundup article Blanco check from Nick Pollock we start with 
a shout-out to Corbin Burns of the Brewers, who went eight innings pitched, no earned runs, two hits, no walks, and nine strikeouts against the Orioles. Aces are going to ace. Glad to see Burns getting back to his old self. This was a much-needed start for him. John Gray of the Rangers went nine innings pitched, one earned run, four hits, no walks, and 12 strikeouts against the Cardinals. Holy mother of Texas, John Gray has transformed into a monster. That's a golden goal for Gray, having 23 whiffs and a 41% CSW in the start. He actually ended up taking the loss in this complete game effort after giving up an 8th inning home run to Alec Burleson and the Rangers offense surprisingly putting up a goose egg. Ever since Gray changed his slider shape from a sweeper to a gyro slider, he has been dominant. Shout out to Lance Brozdowski on Twitter for this info, but Gray traded 8 inches of sweep on his slider for 4 miles per hour of velocity on this pitch, and it's playing off of his fastball wonderfully. In his last 43 innings, Gray has a 0.84 ERA and a 0.65 whip. That is ace-type Cy Young numbers. Will it stick? Probably not, because his fastball and changeup won't always perform this well. But for now, let John Gray lead your staff to victory. If you can, buy high on him. And I'm not saying give the farm for him, but if you can get him for a relatively safe price, something that's kind of even to his value if you were to get him maybe three weeks ago, I would try to acquire John Gray because he's not going to be this good and you are going to be paying a little bit extra of a price, but I think he's going to be better and somewhat more like this than a worse version of himself moving forward. So I like John Gray a lot, but once again, I'm a known John Gray truther, so there's no surprise that I am trying to buy high on him. And lastly, we have Jack Flaherty of the Cardinals, who went six innings pitched, no earned runs, three hits, five walks, and eight strikeouts against the Rangers. Opposing John Gray was Jack Flaherty, who didn't do too bad himself. The eight strikeouts in six innings pitched is nice to see, but the five walks certainly isn't. Flaherty only had a 29% CSW in this one, which isn't too great, but the Rangers are a great offense, and he got through them. Flaherty gets the Giants next, and while he's pitching like this, you have to start him. If he's out there in your league, I think he's worth grabbing and using for the time being. Big flop on my part for dropping both John Gray and Jack Flaherty about a month ago, and yeah, I regret that. (laughs) Yeah, John Gray, uh, actually, I was going to talk about his start earlier in the week, but then I saw that you were going to talk about this, and of course, how do you not talk about a nine-inning, 12-strikeout start? So he actually has been really doing real well, Um, and I love that little tidbit about that idea that you know, his slider, you know, th- that interesting thing about, oh, you know, he didn't get, a, get as much horizontal sweep on it, which, you know, normally I think a lot of people think, oh, that's like the cool thing to see for pitches, right? Um, but it's all about how your pitchers play with each other and adding velocity to it, getting a little bit tighter um, still makes it a really good whiff pitch when when you kind of match it up with his uh, his fastball. So uh, that that's some really cool, cool work there from Lance. Um, and... Yeah, Jack Flaherty, man. I just want him to be so consistent, but uh, we'll we'll see if he we'll see if he does that. Yeah, that's what we just have to wait and see if Flaherty can stay consistent because he has been the opposite of that for a little bit of time now. Just a tiny bit. <laughs> uh, moving on to Thursday, then uh, starting with the hitting recap article from Seth Klusmeyer. Uh, we're gonna start with Jose Ramirez, who went through for five with three homers, three runs, and five RBI. Hello there, Joe Ram. Finally, doing some stuff this season. Uh, he's been a little under the radar despite being a potential number one pick in fantasy. There was some hype around you know, him going number one uh, because how bad third base was and how good he was as a third baseman. 
Uh, looking at his stats, though, you can see why people were a little bit less than enthused with his season this year. He's been slashing 267, 333, 474 with only nine homers and five stolen bases. Those aren't bad numbers by any sort of means. They're actually pretty solid numbers. Uh, but they don't necessarily scream, you know, best hitter in baseball sort of numbers. Um, and that's not necessarily Joe Ram's calling card. It's just that he's a really solid sort of all five categories guy. And this this season hasn't really shown his true potential. That being said, though, he's still one of the best third basemen in baseball. It's not exactly his fault that his team is also one of the worst offenses in baseball. So it's probably why the counting stats aren't as great. And then Luis Robert Jr. of the White Sox. Uh, he also went through for five, but he had a double, a homer, two runs, RBI, and a stolen base. Robert's been a bit of an enigma this season with some mental lapses, as well as general inconsistency. Hasn't been a fan favorite at times because of just the way that sometimes he's approaching games. At the same time, though, he's near the top of the league with 41 runs and 14 homers. Has an elite 522 slugging percentage. The strikeout rate's been pretty poor, though, and he's not hitting the ball as hard as often as he has in the past. But he is making do with that, right? 41 runs and 14 homers. There's nothing to ignore there. The bright side is that his May was a lot better than his April. So here's to hoping that he continues that good performance into the rest of the season. Both of these guys were obviously heavily invested in, in drafts going in the first probably three rounds. Joe Ram in the first five picks, Luis Robert in the first three rounds. And they're both performing really well. I mean, Luis Robert goes on these ridiculous hot stretches, right? And then kind of cools down. And that's kind of yep. the White Sox in general. The White Sox have been so weird this season. They're probably going to be sellers at the deadline, which is crazy to think because not too yep. long ago, we were putting these guys as favorites for the division. So Tim Anderson might not be a White Sox by uh by by August. Neither will Lucas Giolito, maybe. I mean, yeah. it's pretty crazy to think that these guys might be shipped away, considering that this team is very talented. They just can't put it together, they can't stay healthy, they can't find consistency. So very strange, but it's nice to see Luis Robert actually giving you value on where you drafted him. So mm-hmm. I like to see that he's someone that every time I go in on him he's either hurt or doesn't perform well. And then when I don't go in on him, he performs great. So he's someone that I'll never benefit from, but hopefully you are benefiting from Luis Roberts' performance. And then Joe Ram, it's good to see that he's going back to form, right? I mean, he was struggling pretty hard before then. He just wasn't himself. It wasn't like he was doing poorly. He just wasn't a top five pick. Mm -hmm. And a three home run game will certainly put you back into the conversation because I remember when Goldie was struggling to start the year. He only had like yeah. two homers and then he hit like a three home run game. And it was like, oh, okay, cool. Goldie's numbers it. are back in line. Yeah, exactly. Oh, his slugging is like back to a reasonable number. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So it just takes a few games, especially it's still early in the season. So Joe Ram will find it. Joe Ram will be okay. And he will be the best third baseman for fantasy purposes moving forward. I truly believe. Well, moving on to Nick Pollock's SP Roundup, Collins Mockery, which, in my opinion, is one of the best titles of the season. Uh, we're <laughs> going to start with Jose Barrios of the Blue Jays going up against Houston. Got a win. Six innings, two earned runs, four hits, two walks, and two strikeouts. This is one of those starts where you look at whether he got a win or a quality start and don't really care what else happened. Barrios survived against the Astros, but he also managed it with only a 1.0 whip. Sure, the strikeouts weren't there. Only had two. But this is also Brios' fifth straight start that finished in either a win or a quality start. Not bad for someone whose career has been marked by inconsistency. And then Drew Smiley of the Cubs went up against Los Angeles, took the loss there, unfortunately. Six innings, 
Two earned runs, seven hits, three walks, and four strikeouts. Honestly, this really wasn't that bad of a start for Smiley. Uh, the sinker was able to get some called strikes and outs as well. The curveball returned 10 whips. It only uh, had two balls in place for hits as well. It was located a bit more all over the place, unfortunately. Um, but it still worked out. Now it gets to face the Pirates twice in a row. And hopefully those outings can end up in a win for both those matchups. So I was watching the Cubs-Angels game because I actually bet on the Cubs to mm. win this one. I did a parlay with the Blue Jays, and they just squeaked it out. So good job, Arios. Thank you for holding that one down. But <laughs> Smiley looked pretty good. He obviously gave up a mammoth home run, like I said, to Joe Adele. And he yeah. you know, struggled a little bit, but he looked pretty good overall. I mean, seven hits is a little bit too much. Three walks is a little bit more than you'd like to see. But I think two starts against the Pirates is a no-brainer to start him, and you definitely ride him for those two starts. But yeah, it's good to see Smiley's just been kind of even keel and consistent the whole season. Mm-hmm. And then Jose Barrios, you know, do we even call him the great undulator anymore? I mean, he's been pretty consistent nowadays. Right, looks exactly. like he's back to his old self, man. Right. I mean, we say that, and all of a sudden, the curveball's going to be going out of whack. So. Yeah. <laughs> you just never know. Yeah. But that wraps up the weekly performance recap. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will be answering your questions from Twitter, so stay tuned. We are back, and it's time to answer your questions from Twitter. Thank you to everyone that submitted questions. There weren't many of you, but we certainly appreciate it. Also, please make sure that you follow us on Twitter. We're at 93 followers currently and would love to see it get to 100 after this episode. We want to help all of you out, so whenever you have questions, tweet at us, email us, or ask us on Discord, and we'll cover it in the podcast if we have time. We start with this question from at Peter Ingram on Twitter. Is Musgrove and Castellanos an overpay for Schwarber in a 10-team OBP league? John, what do you think about this question? Terrible trade. I don't know why you'd offer it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So there's a little inside joke here because Peter's in in one of my fantasy leagues and has been telling me that I should trade Kyle Schwarber. Um. Uh, like objectively, I think I would say it's probably like a 50 50 thing. Um, only because Castellanos is like also hot at the same time that Schwarber is hot. And, um, you know, looking at, at it stats wise, like Casti is like having a better year in terms of OBP, uh, and slugging, I guess, uh, compared to. Schwarber, I think just Schwarber just has a bit more potential in the counting stats. Um, yes, he is batting leadoff for the Phillies, and that that can be a little annoying. But um, at the end of the day, like I think I'd expect more out of Schwarber than Castellanos. And then of course the kicker here is Musgrove, where um, he's been okay this season. Uh, I, I wouldn't call him inconsistent. He's been probably better than inconsistent. Um, is probably the best characterization. Uh, but he hasn't been any sort of an ace. He's been a really solid SB2. Um, and so when I'm when I'm judging this, right, Schwarber has the potential to be, you know, and we, we've talked about Schwarber at length even last season. Um, obviously, you love Schwarber. Um, and he has the potential to be, you know, like a 40 home run hitter guy. And, you know, if that average wasn't so abysmal, that OBP would be a lot better. Um and I think that potential is still there. And then Musgrove uh, just kind of annoys me with how, like, not elite he is. Like, he's still good. He's just not elite. And it kind of it kind of annoys me here. But w- w- what's your opinion? So, 
in a 10-team OBP league. Now, that's the format for my home league, so I'm very mm-hmm. familiar with this sort of league, and I'm well-known and well-documented in my league to pull off these two-for-one trades, which would look something like this. And I'm a big fan of doing two-for-one trades where I'm giving away two players and I'm acquiring mm-hmm. one, and the one is usually better than the two combined. It's the best player in the trade, but you're giving them value in maybe somewhere they are struggling and they are able to improve in two places for the cost of one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think those are very good because especially in a 10-team league, there's always some good players out there on the wire that you can pick up and right. you can rock with. And they're probably not as good as the person you're giving away, but you're improving in the one section and then taking a gamble or using a rotation spot to stream or get a hot bat in there. So I'm a big fan of a two-for-one trade. Mm-hmm. Now, this one in specific, like obviously if this was an average league, I take the Musgrove and Castellanos side because Castellanos' average is infinitely better than Schwarber's. Completely, yep. But I think this is more context-dependent for a 10-team OBP league. If your pitching staff is struggling, if you have no consistency, if you have a lot of injuries, then I would like the Musgrove and Castellanos side because I'm a huge fan of Schwarber. Mm-hmm. And when he's hot, you pretty much win every week. It's not debatable. He is someone that can carry a week similar to a Jordan, similar to a judge, where yeah. if he's on, he is dominating. And Castellanos doesn't have that same potential. Like when he's on, he's great and he's going to contribute to your win for the week, but he's not going to carry your team to a win. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a very fair trade. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think that if you were to do this trade, it would have to be where the side that's receiving Musgrove and Castellanos has a struggling rotation Mm -hmm. and the other side needs power. And if that's the trade, if that makes both teams better, then I'm all for it because at the end of the day, that's what you really want to see in a trade is that both teams are improving or getting players that they want. So if that's the case, I'm all for it. I love to be on the side where I'm receiving one player for two because like Mm -hmm. I said, I like the freedom of the roster construction. Right, yeah. But... This is not a bad two-for-one. Like, if someone said, hey, I traded Chorber for Musgrove and Castellanos, I'd be like, great, that's a good deal. But mm-hmm. if someone said I declined Musgrove and Castellanos for Schwarber, I'd be like, I understand. So I see both sides of the coin on this one. It's mainly just what you need in that context. But right now, Castellanos is playing really well. Schwarber's been struggling a little bit, and Musgrove yeah. is doing all right. So this could go either way. Yeah, it, it is interesting here, too, because obviously the context is this is my home league. And, yeah, right. Uh, and my pitching is not stellar i would say i i went for the brand i went for the strategy of basically uh as an auction league i put all my money in hitters and basically didn't put any money in pitchers okay uh, except for shohei otani um and so you know my pitching staff isn't good by any stretch of the means you know i have shohei otani jordan montgomery tyler wells who's pitched a really good game today um nathan Eovaldi, who's been you know well above sort of uh ex- expectations uh michael Michael Kepich is, is, you know, a solid streamer type. Logan Allen's like a really solid floor type. Um, Braxton Garrett, who we've talked about at nauseum. Uh, but I am dealing with Nestor Cortez, Drew Rasmussen, and Nick Lodolo on all in the IL. So, you know, injuries have not been my, my friend this season, which is making this trade, like, interesting because Musgrove is, you know, better than, I would say, four of the pitchers that I mentioned there, right? Right, yep. He's probably behind, in my opinion, he's a little bit behind Eovaldi right now. Not not in terms of talent, just in terms of his... Yeah, his I would say Otani's your best pitcher, followed by Eovaldi, and then Musgrove would be the three. Right, and so I'm basically, it's like, okay, am I trading, you know, uh, 
one of my best hitters in terms of power, in terms of OBP, in terms of slugging, you know, um, for an SP3 and a, you know, guy who would slot in kind of in that same outfielder spot, um, you know, just a little, maybe a little less quality. And I don't know, it's an interesting conversation and one that I am thinking about, but um, yeah, we'll see if this trade actually gets offered or not. Yeah. Hey, it's all speculation until the trade offer is sent. So you never know if you're going to be doing a deal or not until the offer's on the table. So we'll see what you do on that. Maybe we'll get an update on that in a future episode of the podcast. But yeah. I think the deal is fine. Like I said, if you have a lackluster pitching staff, like you said, you know, he'd be your SP3. I don't think it's a bad deal. I really don't. I love Schwarber, but you know, if, if he has a down season and Castellanos is on the up, then the production will probably be very similar. But Schwarber will definitely have more home runs than Castellanos. That's without question. Yes. Mm-hmm. Next, we have our last question from Twitter from at Beat Rick and Frank. He asked three questions, really. The first part is Librator or Woo rest of season. Then it's what are projections for Willie Castro? And then it's what will Ben Joyce do this year? So, John, if you want to start us off, let's start with the Librator or Woo rest of season. Yeah, uh, this one's a hard one because Wu had his major league debut and just got absolutely shelled. Um, and Libertor, to me, is a guy who's got a decent floor, but probably not the ceiling that Wu has. I'm also talking about this on the basis of like having read a couple articles on Pitcherless. Like that's kind of my research extent. Right. Basically, here's what I'd say: I wouldn't roster either of these guys rest of season. Right. Both these guys are kind of streamer pickups, uh, guys that um, you know I'll, I'll have in, in the right starts, uh, but they're not staying on my roster. Um, if I want some floor play, if you know, I want some safer stuff, I probably go with Libertor. If I want a little bit more, you know, electric stuff, maybe I go with Brian Wu there. Um, but to me, these are both guys who it's hard for me to see them staying on my team uh, for an extended period of time. Um, the nice things are probably the strikeout numbers from Wu are are better than Librator, I believe. Um, and so, yeah, that that's probably what maybe would push me towards Wu a bit more is because, you know, more strikeouts is usually a good indication of, of just better results in general, like better ERA, better whip. Um, and that's probably what pushes me towards Wu over Librator if I had to pick one. So... I would choose Wu over Libertor, and honestly, it's a coin flip because I don't think either of these guys will be in the rotation by July. Mm, sure. And it's hard to say that, but like Libertor hasn't been great at all when he's been pitching. Obviously, Matt's was moved to the bullpen for him to start, mm-hmm. and he's a top prospect guy, but I just haven't seen anything good from him at all, like except for his one start that he had. So yeah. I don't really trust someone like that. And then Wu... He's got great stuff, and I believe you know Saris's stuff plus model likes him a lot more than Librator. However, the stuff plus model is a little bit biased to righties over lefties, and there's some more additional information in that. But Wu has better stuff, but his first performance was horrible, and who knows if he'll be in the rotation. So I think if you just had to say, hey, which one do you think will be better for the rest mm-hmm. of the season? It will be Wu, but I can't guarantee either of these guys will have a rotation spot in a month. And that's a hard part when you're asking about two fringe guys that are prospects that have potential, but we haven't seen anything from them. So if you're going to tell me, hey, pick one, I'll choose Wu personally, but this is a real coin flip. Like if Libertor locks down a rotation spot and Wu goes to the minors, then obviously you want Libertor. If the reverse of that happens, you obviously want Wu. So it's not an easy decision to make because both of these are fringe guys, but if you had to choose one, 
I would say woo. Next, what are the projections for Willie Castro? So I'm assuming he's saying what are our projections for Willie Castro? You mm-hmm. could start this one because obviously you're a Twins fan, but what do you think yeah. of Willie Castro? Uh, well, in my perfect world, Willie Castro would be a bench player who doesn't have to play every single day. Fair, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, what What is my projection for Willie Castro? I could see him finish out the year with, let's just say, I don't know, maybe, maybe he gets 12 homers, uh, 20 steals, um, finishes maybe close to 50 runs and... I don't know, 25 RBI. I mean, projections are so random. Like, do I think do I think that he's going to improve on what he's at this season and be on a better pace than what he's at where he's at this season? No. I think he's if anything, I think he's going to regress as the season goes on. Um he's he's has his best average of the season, uh, of his career since 2020, uh, which was only a hundred forty plate appearance sample size. He's um He's hitting the ball marginally harder than he has in, in the in the in his previous career. Um, he's striking out more, which isn't super surprising. That's kind of the Twins' sort of strategy is, is to kind of go for broke when they're swings. So it's not surprising that he's striking out more. Um, he isn't walking really that much more. So nothing in his profile screams to me that this is sustainable. And just, I mean, like it—it's probably a funny thing to call this like sustainable because it's not exactly like great numbers. He's batting two fifty six. He's got five homers this season. Strike rate's thirty point thirty percent. Um, yeah, I—I I think it. I don't think he stays where he's at right now. So I normally, when I look at projections or rest of season projections, I usually use ATC, which is Ariel Cohen's model. Mm-hmm. It's an aggregate of pretty much all of the projection models, and it's really accurate. He's won like most accurate projections for like two or three seasons straight. So I really go off of those. However, in this particular scenario, I think Zips is the only one that has his at bats kind of at the right spot because he's been playing more. Yeah, and Zips has him rest of the season getting 259 more at bats. Scoring 37 more runs, 7 more home runs, 33 more RBI, and 9 stolen bases to a 250 average and a 300 OBP. Oh, that's actually pretty close to what I said. Yeah, so honestly, you know, like ATC has 122 ABs, which is why I'm using the Zips one because there's more at-bats because yeah. of the mm-hmm. increased playing time for Castro. But yeah, I mean, if you take those, let's just say seven homers, nine steals, 250 average, he's just a serviceable player. Like, in a deep yep. league, you probably want him to fill in, but yep. if all of the injured players on the Twins get healthy and Castro becomes a bench player and then you see more of the 122 at-bats that ATC projected come to fruition, then you're only looking at three more homers, four more steals, 13 more RBI. And in that case, you really don't need someone like that on your team. But if he's getting everyday playing time, if he's going to get 250 to 300 more ABs, then yeah, he's probably usable. You know, somewhere between five and eight home runs and seven to 10 steals. It's a serviceable player for the rest of the season. So I would say Willie Castro is someone in deeper leagues that you could look at, but for anything shallower than 12 teams and less, he probably shouldn't be rostered. Even a, even a 12 team with middle and corner infield and five outfielders and two utility, you know, like kind of the the deepest 12 teamer you could yes. play 
I still don't think Willie Castro was rosterable in, in that situation. I agree with that. I don't think that any, even the deepest of 12 team league, like you said, he should be rostered. I don't think so. I think you're looking at 14 team leagues, AL only yeah. leagues, 15 team leagues, yeah. 20 team, you know, dynasty stuff like that. That's where you mm-hmm. really should look into Willie Castro. But other than that, I think he's not someone you should be rostering because they have so many mouths to feed there too when everyone's healthy. So totally. yeah. I don't think Willie Castro will be in the rotation of the lineup for the twins for a long time. And the last question from beat Rick and Frank on Twitter is what will Ben Joyce do this year? Now I'll just leave this one off. And Ben Joyce was a top prospect in the angels organization. And I had some big hope for him that he would take over the closer role for the Mm -hmm. angels. And I don't see that happening. And it's kind of unfortunate because Carlos Estevez is off to an amazing start. He's gone 16 for 16 on save yep. opportunities to start the year, which is, I believe, tied with Troy Percival to start a season for the Angels saves, I think. I know there's one person ahead of them, but off the top of my head, I don't remember. I just remember that I was watching the game and I saw a little thing pop up and it said, hey, he's got 15 and he converted that save and it tied him with somebody and there's one more ahead of him. So Estevez is not losing his closer job anytime soon. No. So with that being said, What will Ben Joyce do this year? I think he will be a dominant, high-leverage reliever for the Angels that in a saves-plus-holds league, you probably want to roster because he's going to come in probably before Estevez or in the 6th, 7th inning when things are going kind of sketchy to preserve a lead. And he's got nasty stuff. His strikeout numbers are going to be ridiculous. He's already pitched pretty well so far. I think Ben Joyce is a solid save plus hold contributor, but he's not going to take over the closer job unless Estevez has an injury, which no one's hoping for. So with that being said, I think Ben Joyce will be dominant. I think in the future he will be the closer, but for this season, he's a great save plus hold option. That's it. Yeah, I'm maybe a little bit more down on on Joyce, um, but I don't think there's been a big enough sample size to really make a conclusion on him. Um, obviously the strikeout numbers in the minors pretty solid, but he's really, I mean, he's only pitched eight, 28 innings in the minor, 29 innings technically in the minors. Right. So that's literally nothing to go on. Like in college, she was a flamethrower obviously, but, um, I don't, I don't know if there's really a lot that we can take from college to extrapolate into the pro game. Um, some things that are interesting to note is that he's currently 90% fastball. Uh, granted he's only pitched he's only thrown like 80 pitches so far in the majors so it's it's also tough to make an extrapolation from that um both those both his uh slider and his fastball don't have great swinging strike rate metrics right um like he had a 50 percent swinging strike rate in double a which is decent um but in double a if you're looking for a more dominant pitcher it should be a little higher than that in my opinion um but I think that as he gets more major league experience, maybe that's where he, you know, figures out where to where to put those pitches and you know how to um, locate his his fastball, how to work the slider off his fastball well in a major league situation. Because again, he's only pitched 20, 29, 33 uh, professional innings in his career, right? right? And so there's still plenty of room for him to grow. I think. This year, his ceiling is kind of like what you said, maybe the the top setup man in, in the Angels bullpen. Um, I don't think he he definitely doesn't, in my opinion, 
become the closer unless you know something happens to Carlos Estevez, like they trade him or something like that. Um, but uh, to me, he's a guy who might be a, a good source of holds. I, I don't know if I'd say he's one of the better options right now, but um, he might be a good source of holds for the rest of the season. And um, if those strikeout numbers improve, that's probably where you're going to get more elite production from him is in those in those strikeout numbers. Yeah, he currently only has one hold. He's got one win as well, but yep. he only has one hold so far. He's got five strikeouts and four innings pitched, and he only had one outing where he gave up some runs to Houston, mm-hmm. and that was his only poor performance. He gave up two runs on three hits to a home run by Chaz McCormick. <laughs> so not the greatest guy to give up a home run to, but that was the only notch on his ERA record so far this season. I think yeah. if those Ks can go up, and he is put in those high leverage situations for holds. I think he's usable in saves plus holds leagues. But outside of that, like John said, he's not going to be the closer anytime soon. He's kind of middling every now and then. But I think his ceiling is a dominant holds player. So I, uh, looking at his numbers too, the good thing about him is that he doesn't have too much of a walk issue. Right. Like he did just give up three walks in his last performance of the Cubs. But in the three performances prior to that, he didn't kill up a single walk. So, exactly. You know, he is he is pretty much a strike thrower, which is good. Um, you want that. Um, and I mean, his first two his first two appearances, you know, he got two strike ones at both of them. So there's a lot of potential here for sure. I just don't know if I could trust anything because there hasn't been any sort of good sample size um, in in his professional career, both in the minors and in the majors. Yeah, and one positive thing that I will say for Ben Joyce on the last note is that he does have starting pitcher and relief pitcher eligibility on Yahoo. Mm-hmm. So if you play in a league, maybe it's super deep, saves plus holds, and you want to use him as a SPARP, a starting pitcher as a relief pitcher, mm-hmm. that's a good strategy to employ, and he's someone that you can do it with. So if you don't want to have any starters in there and you want to just have relievers, he's someone that you can plug into a starting pitcher spot and be a reliever for you getting holds. So I think Ben Joyce has a good ceiling, but we have to see more from him first. But that's about it from Ben Joyce this year. He's not going to be a closer. He's not going to get you any saves, really, unless something happens, of course. But, yeah, I think Ben Joyce is going to be serviceable. And I think in the future, he will be a good option to close out games for the Angels. But that wraps up the questions we got from Twitter. Thank you again for submitting those questions, everybody. We want to do that more often. So whenever you have any questions, remember, tweet at us, email us, talk to us on Discord. We will try to answer as many questions as we can on a podcast if we have time for it. So make sure you send in questions whenever we're down to help. We're always here to talk to you guys. So make sure you go and do that. But let's get into the streamers for next week. John, give us the names you got this time. Yeah, I've got four four of them. One of them that we talked about previously, but uh, we're going to start out with some Boston pitchers in James Paxton and Carter Crawford. Um, Paxton is currently 40% roster in Yahoo, but he is 16% roster on ESPN. Crawford is basically just not rostered at all. It's 2% on Yahoo, 1% on ESPN. They're going up against Colorado in Boston on Monday and Tuesday, respectively. And currently, Colorado is the second worst offense in the league, so that's kind of why this is a good choice. But Paxton is also a decent pitcher. He had a good start against Cleveland. He earned the win in seven innings. He got nine strikeouts in that performance. The four-seamer and the cutter uh, are kind of working together at the right time for him. They earned 23 whips in that in that specific start. So facing Colorado, again, the second worst offense 
in the majors, um, I think should be a good opportunity for him to earn a win, maybe even get a quality start. We'll see. For Carter, he's got some of the filthiest stuff in the majors. His um, PLV is, is really good. Um, I haven't checked his stuff uh, plus recently, but I know he was one of those weird outliers with, you know, good stuff numbers, bad, um, bad performances. Uh, and yeah, so that's kind of the problem with him. He just doesn't know what to do with his stuff. The good thing is that he does limit hits and walks. Uh, he's got a pretty low whip, which is nice. And that should work well against a poor hitting team in the Rockies. So if you're feeling risky, you could roll with both of these guys. Uh, but I would definitely lean Paxton over Cutter if he's available. Uh, this, the third option, we've got A.J. smith Shaver of Atlanta, which we talked about. He's very rostered, uh, 49% on Yahoo, but he's only 9% rostered on ESPN. So depending on where you play fantasy, that might be an option for you. He gets the chart on Wednesday. And again, we don't exactly um, have all the numbers from his start today. Uh, I believe he is going up, going up against the Nationals. So, you know, a nice cushy matchup for him. Um, it's As we're recording this, it's the bottom of the sixth, and he so far has pitched 5.1 innings. No one runs, which is solid, uh, but only two strikeouts. So not like incredible stuff by any sort of uh, the imagination, but solid. And now he gets Detroit, which is, again, one of the worst offenses in the league. Uh, what's the like about him? Well, even though he only got two strikeouts in this game, he has shown good strikeout ability in the minors, and his main calling card is a fastball-slider combo, and that worked in AAA really well, and it likely will do, you know, decently against, uh, you know, poor-hitting major league teams. He also has secondaries that he can rely on besides just that slider that produce whiffs outside the zone. Uh, I believe both the curveball and I think his changeup um, have like a 50% um, O swing rate or something like that. So uh, is good at inducing swings off poor pitches. Um, and so, yeah, if uh, there might be, you know, some managers in the league that maybe cooled off Schauber after this, you know, I wouldn't say at a bad start, maybe just not a great start um, in terms of strikeout numbers. Uh, still is there on rut, so that's pretty solid. Um, so, yeah, if someone drops him, I think he's still worth a pickup for Wednesday. And then finally, this is not even close to being a streamer, but Patrick Sandoval of the Angels, 55% roster on Yahoo, 36% roster on ESPN. He goes up against Kansas City on Friday. Um, again, he's not really in the streamer range. The The roster ships are a little too high, but I'd say there's still probably at, you know, at least a one-half chance he's available in your league. The Irish Pandas had a truly abysmal year this season. His ERA is 4.14, which is a far cry from his 2.91 ERA last season. The expected stats also are agreeing with that decline, so it's not really it really hasn't been a good season for him. He hasn't been unlucky or anything, he's just been bad. Still, he does some decent stuff, and a matchup against the Royals, who aren't that great, might be enough to give him some confidence for the rest of the season. So I think we should restructure our streamer recommendations for like maybe fifty percent rostered on Yahoo or less, because I feel like if they're rostered in fifty percent less of leagues, all of the active leagues probably have them available mm -hmm. because you got to think that like 55% of leagues that have Patrick Sandoval in them are either leagues that you keep everyone forever or they drafted him to start and they just never dropped them because they're not active. Right. So I like these recommendations. I think we maybe should tool it down a little bit because obviously ESPN, it's a joke, 16% roster for James Paxton. I mean, that's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> so we should probably use like Yahoo 60% or less as a streamer. I mean, maybe that's a little too high, but we can kind of talk about restructuring it. 
I like all of these options. I think Sandoval is an incredible option against the Royals. The Royals are horrible. If Sandoval has that changeup working, he can really do some damage. AJ Smith Shaver, we don't really know what we're getting from him. Obviously, the start against the Nationals went all right. The strikeouts were really, really obsolete there, but he could do well against a horrible Detroit offense. And then James Paxton, as I joked before, he should just be rostered. I mean, genuinely, he has been so good except for one start. And as long as he's healthy, he should be pretty good. So just roster James Paxton, kind of like how I recommended Braxton Garrett. If James mm-hmm. Paxton is out there in your league, roster him because he is great. He was a great pitcher before going down with several injuries. So yeah. if he can mm-hmm. return to what he was, that's a steal of a pitcher. So yeah, definitely use him against Cleveland and hold on to him because I think Paxton is going to be good as long as he's healthy. And then Cutter Crawford, he's got a lot of potential. We really don't know what we're going to get from him, but I think Cutter Crawford's a great stream, especially against Cleveland. I think you can roll with both of these guys and you probably won't regret it, which is a good thing out of a streamer. So all four of them, if I had to rank them, it goes Paxton, Sandoval, Shaver, Crawford. But Shaver and Crawford are probably like tied. But I like Paxton the most, Sandoval the second most, and then the other guys I think are definitely usable. So that's my recommendations. And then for one other recommendation I wanted to make was we really don't talk about hitter streamers. And I'd like to mention maybe like one every episode. So I'm just going to recommend three guys that are all on the same team because I think you can utilize them for their matchups coming up. I want to recommend the Reds players that are unowned. Jake Fraley's only 49% rostered on Yahoo. Spencer Steer is 79%, so a little more rostered. And Matt McClain is 60% on Yahoo. I think you should grab one or two or three of these guys if you have the room to stream bats because they have three games against the Royals. And as we just said, the Royals are a bad team. And three games against the Astros next week. They're on the road for all of them. But the Royals have the third highest team ERA this season with 5.10. And then when they go against the Astros, they get JP France and Brendan Belak. And then I don't know who the third option is because that's not out yet. Not sure who that'll be, but they don't have to face Valdez and Javier back-to-back, which is a great sign. So the Reds have quite the buzz and hype around them right now. They're playing well. So I think they're going to have a good week. I think they're going to perform well and win some games. So if any of Fraley, Steer, or McLean are out there, go and grab them. You probably should already roster Matt McLean and Spencer Steer. They've been great. Jake Fraley's been hurt and up and down a little bit. But all three of these guys should perform well against some pretty bad pitching. Yeah, it's it's always interesting to recommend Cincinnati guys outside of Cincinnati. Yep. Um, but yeah, sometimes even the pitching matchups can dictate where to go. Um, I will say with Houston, JP France is actually like kind of solid. Yeah, he's been so, very good so far. Um, but he does give up runs, so that's the thing. Like he he he'll get a lot of strikeouts, but he will give up runs. Right. Uh, he's a little bit of a homer issue. So there's yeah, definitely a chance there that one of those guys is able to tee off on him. Brandon Bielek has just been such a weird story this season. I don't know if he's a good pitcher. I don't know if he's a bad pitcher who's doing good <laughs> things, but um, he's been like relatively solid as a guy, which just annoys the heck out of me because yep. it's like, how does Houston ha- keep having these guys? Um, so, uh, yeah, hopefully the one guy they, they they might have to face Hunter Brown, but I I, but I don't know where that. Yeah, like you mentioned, we don't know the third starter yet in that that series. Right. Yeah, I just think they're good guys to use because the Reds have been hot. McLean is someone I roster in three different leagues because I think he's just that good. Spencer mm-hmm. Steer has been off to an amazing start this season. So yeah. against worse pitching matchups, I like these guys to produce some RBI and runs for you guys, maybe get a homer and a steal every now and then. So yeah, these are all guys you can use. So take it with a grain of salt, but those are just the batting recommendations I have for you guys. Another name just to keep an eye on is Cabrian Hayes. His stack cast numbers look great, but 
he hasn't really put up the counting stats and maybe that'll change this week because he's got some good matchups but that wraps up this episode of this week in fantasy baseball before you all go please follow us on twitter at this week pl or send us your comments and questions at thisweekplpod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter at TheJohnKa, that's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E, and myself on Twitter at Regicidal, that's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Pitcher List podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts on, and please leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. Lastly, sign up for Pitcher List Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the Pitcher List Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We will be back next week with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone. Later, everyone.